Hello and welcome to episode 499 of Fergie on the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Join me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going very well, Andrew, the real deal. Ferguson, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, haven't seen much footy, but yep. I've seen plenty of footy talk, so that should be enough to get us through. Excellent. Excellent. I've watched uh I've watched actually a lot of footy when I think about it. So it'll be good. It's a good balance. You've you've again failed to be a journalist for another week. <laughs> Who would want to be a journalist? I mean, I've gone around and done all the smart things to be a journalist. I've gone onto social media and looked at what people were talking about and then commented on that instead. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you know what's bugging everyone? What? Not singing some song that a Scotsman wrote for something else hundreds of years ago, and then we turned to a national anthem 40 years ago. When I saw this article coming, and it's it's funny, right, because I, w- I watched the test match, and when they were singing the national anthems, and I was thinking to myself, oh, man, it's I – mean, I was thinking about what I've heard other former players talk about when they asked, like, why didn't you sing the national anthem? And the answers that come back from most of them are – I was trying not to burst out crying because I was so emotional. Um, some players are like, I was so focused. I, just what everything that was happening around me, all I was thinking about was the game that was coming up. And that's basically the two trains of thoughts with players. Um, and so when they were singing the national anthem, I was thinking about that. And I was actually thinking, man, I'm glad we moved past that stupidity the media used to go on with about who's singing and who's not singing because that was really stupid. And lo and yes. behold, a uh, 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 fuck decided that the thing he was going to write about this week was who did and did not sing the national anthem. What a fucking moron. Yeah, Dean Ritchie, uh, he's turned on the test. He's sit there and he's watched with steely focus on who was singing the anthem. And when he found out there were some people in there who didn't, he's gone, that's enough footy for me, turned it off and wrote his article. What a fucking miserable prick. And uh, puts that shit out into the ether. And, and who then... did they focus on? They focused on the one Aboriginal player that wasn't singing it. Shock oh, yeah. horror. Shock horror. Yeah. And uh, he's put it out there. He's copped an awful lot of criticism because obviously, you know, it's a shit piece of work that he's done. Mm-hmm. And then he's gone, oh, there's too much anger and hatred on here. I'm leaving. Bye. And he's gone and blocked a ton of people and he's off social media again. Because, you know, spineless shit. He's a fucking he's got dickhead. The, he's got the nerve to go around using the name Bulldog. Despite the fact he's got no teeth, no spine. No bark, no bite, nothing. He's basically a piece of grass. Well, it's like, I mean, I, I just don't know how you sit down after a test match and that's what you come up with, you know? And the the the, the player that they highlighted was Selwyn Cobo, who's a very, very, I mean, is he still a teenager? Playing his first test match? Can you imagine how emotional that moment was for him and overwhelming? Like, and and all you get out of it is, like, 
some fucking idiot in the media coming up with this shit. It's like on the weekend, you know, the articles that they write about Jerome Luai, they start with the words NRL villain. Yeah, well, it's, he's only a villain to the media because they don't like him because, I don't know, he's successful. Yeah, he's young and he's successful and he's won fucking most things that he's played in. And when I say most... He only got to the World Cup final with Samoa as the best player at the entire World Cup. Like, he's a fuck. He's one of the great winners that we've had in the modern day, and they call him a villain, you know. And they they tried to do the same thing to Reese Walsh because he wore some fucking sunglasses they didn't like. Yeah, you know, and they keep doing it to these young blokes. They did it to fucking uh, Latrell Mitchell. Because he was scheduled to have surgery, but he was able to play in the Koori knockout competition, which was awesome, which is only for, what, two days? And they said, well, why is he not playing in the test match? It's like, because he's going to get surgeries and stuff done. But they had to go at him as well. And they just don't fucking stop with these young players. What a bunch of miserable pricks. Yeah, just keep knocking them down. Yeah. And they yeah. keep knocking them and knocking them and knocking them. And then when the, they, they take... The one chance to bite back these players. Mm. You know, oh, this bloke's an asshole. Let's go worse on him. You're like, what the fuck are you doing? Exactly. Exactly. It, it's fucking ridiculous. And, you know, the thing for everyone to do is just to block these corporate media companies that pump out this shit. Because when their algorithms change and they're like, I don't know what it is. We keep out put, putting out these shitty articles and we're not even getting the views anymore. To block them. That's the best thing you can do is block them. Block them and all the journalists that write for them. And I tell you what, when you do that, you you find that your timeline turns into footy talk. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, look, while we've got the uh, the goofball on on uh, on hand at the moment, Dean Ritchie, mm-hmm. here's some of the shit that he's, to- he's tossed up just in the last few days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Kangaroos blasted over Anthem Insult. There's been calls by some people. I think Max Krillich might have been one. Peter Peters, uh, you told me before, might have been another one, saying that they should, shouldn't should be allowed to play for Australia if they won't sing the National Anthem. Um, I did see someone someone posted footage of uh, the National Anthem being played before an Australia versus Great Britain test. Oh, Australia versus New Zealand test. I can't remember. In the early 80s. Yeah, and that, every that, single player standing there, not mm-hmm. one of them singing the anthem. I saw I saw a bunch of tests that people yeah. did that with, and it, I thought it was great. It was a great reply, and it was like from the seventies. They had some in the eighties and stuff like that, and and I just thought it was fantastic. A fantastic reply to such dumb shit. You even find um, footage of in the earlier mid nineties of the anthem being played and no one singing it. Mm. And you will find the reasons you gave very legitimate now for, you know, why the players that, you know, will not be seeing it mm. because their focus is elsewhere. Mm. In the 80s, I would I would bet comfortably that 95% of the players are not singing the national anthem because they don't give a fuck. Mm. Like, I'm here to play footy. You play your song, I'll be quiet and respect all that sort of stuff. They treat it the same way they treat the opponent's national anthem. 
mm-hmm. I won't make any noise until it's over as a sign of respect. And now we'll get on and play footy. And not one person gave a single shit about the fact they didn't sing the anthem up until the last few years that the current mob do. And this jingoistic fucking nationalism is over the top. It's entirely American. I, I don't fucking get it. I genuinely hate it. I think it is just the dumbest shit ever. Imagine being hated because you don't sing some song from 40 years ago or because you don't go out and passionately devote your love for a fucking flag. What the fuck? Am I weird for thinking that just sounds stupid? No, you're not. And and here's the thing. But doing that, just moments before you run out on a field to represent that same country and throw your body into everything you do. Like, it is fucking crazy that these people are like, well, they just don't, they're not proud of being Australian. It's like they literally are wearing the jersey they're wearing the colours, they're wearing the fucking coat of arms, and they're playing against another nation and kicking their ass and doing it. And they're all so fucking excited to be there, and they're doing their absolute best. None of them doesn't ever want to get dropped from the Australian team, ever. So they're trying to keep their place. And, like, you're going to judge them on fucking 45 minutes that they have to stand around and, and sing a song? Like, Go fuck yourself. Well, while he's there, <clears throat> um, copulating with his own person, <laughs> there was another quote. This is a quote from him uh, earlier in the week, I believe. Mm-hmm. It might have been the same time. Who cares? Um, there's a picture of Panthers players, obviously. And he says, and this is a quote, NRL players jumping all over the try scorer is irritating and childish. Sure as night follows day, a player will crash into and injure a teammate in this juvenile pylon of players. Can't players just shake hands like the old days? What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> what the fuck is he talking about? Imagine being that miserable, Andrew. Can you imagine being that miserable fuck? Look, where you, is... you can't enjoy anything. This is the thing, okay. Remember... Cast him. I'm not. I'm not saying this is a Dean Ritchie uh, comment, but it came from the media. Remember back when they were commenting before PVL came along, and how everyone, all the journos, were saying how much they hated that after a try was scored, everybody stopped and we watched a replay to determine whether it was a try or not. Yep. Oh, we can't celebrate a try anymore because we've got to stay around and watch TV, and it takes all the excitement, and energy out of it. So we take that away. Mm. And we let everyone celebrate a try. And, oh, it's fucking juvenile celebrating tries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's they're so uh, they're they're just the worst people. They really are. And that that's why the players don't want to talk to them. Like, can you imagine being a a fucking footy player? You're enjoying your life. You're living your dream. You know you're living your dream. You know that you're you've had this opportunity to do something really special and you're getting paid really good money to do it right life's pretty fucking good even when you're on a losing team life is pretty fucking good and then you've got people like this fucking idiot asking you questions like i saw today michael mcguire right that there was this thing that the media did today how's he gonna juggle coaching new zealand and then new south wales right how's that even possible and they asked him the question and he said, I'm here to talk about New Zealand. And they asked him again and he's like, I'm here to talk about New Zealand. 
And I asked him, they kept on asking him again and again and again, if he keeps both jobs, and there's no reason why he can't, in the next 12 months, he's going to have to have coached maybe seven games, right? I wonder how a professional fucking rugby league coach is going to cope with coaching seven fucking rugby league games of some of the elite players in the entire world. That's going to be a real big stretch for him. And these dumb fucks in the media are like, this is just so weird. We need to get him. We need to try and get a gotcha moment out of him. And he wasn't giving it to him. And so what was their response? Their response was like, oh, he's being ignorant. He won't even talk about the New South Wales job today. They're just a bunch of fucking assholes. They really are. Well, I got one more from him. Oh, fuck, man. <laughs> he's been busy. He's been busy. Um, he's, he's he must got be a... taking time off of going to the gym this week, hey? <laughs> uh, he he, he um, yeah, pulled in his gut when he sat down and found his keyboard. Ah, we can type again. Um, trust me, that's okay because I'm a fat fuck as well. Um. He's got this column where he's got, you know, all these high points and low points and shit, and this is where it's come from. There's low light in there. He says, who has had a gut full of sporting personalities and clubs sticking their unwanted beaks into politics? Those sporting organisations that entered the voice referendum instantly halved their membership and audience, leave politics to the politicians. And I bet he's completely wrong on that. Um, this is a guy that complains about who fucking sings a song before yeah. a footy match. Yes. Now, I reckon, and I'm basing this only on the very little limited amount of uh, club-associated uh, media that I've seen this week, mm-hmm. that that's targeting Penrith. Because I saw a video, I might have been on Instagram early in the week, and it had uh, Nathan Cleary on there and a few other Panthers players talking about how they were going to vote yes and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I thought when I saw that. He's going to go, ah, Another crack at Panthers. So they're not allowed to celebrate tries. They're not allowed to voice their opinions about anything political. And they're not allowed to support the Aboriginal uh, voice thing in the referendum. So they've got to be robots. But they're not allowed to be robots because we don't like players being robots. Why don't they have personalities like they do in the old days? My, mind you, please shake hands like you did in the old days and say, don't say any fucking thing. Celebrate. Don't celebrate the tries, but celebrate the anthem. You know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, yet we we all know how how poorly uh, Penrith's membership is going. Like, probably. Well, I mean, it, well, it's halved. Yeah, straight away, <laughs> instantly, Andrew, instantly, instantly. Um, this is I might have said this many many years ago on the podcast in one of the early episodes. This is this is what this is the only skill these journos have. Yeah. Okay, and that is to be able to find a situation where they can argue against both sides. So yeah. it doesn't matter which which thing happens. Yeah. They've got a counter-argument with me. All they're doing is voicing their opinion on one thing, and when something comes along that look, you'd think they would agree with, they play devil's advocate on it to complain about that, and they just complain in circles the whole way through. This is why you know, attacking refs is the best one out there. Because you never have to support them. All you do is attack the referee. When referee does something um, good, you attack them for something they did wrong in other games to take the moz off it and never, ever make them feel good. And you just constantly go round around circles, constantly attack, attack, attack the whole time. And they wonder why people get sick of it all the time. 
And the worst thing about it, Kate, it's it's a um, it's it's something that gives you just constantly in, just intensely diminishing rewards every time. So when you actually have something that is legitimate that needs to be attacked in the game, when you have a go at it, people don't care because they've heard so much attack on really petty shit that doesn't matter that when it comes to something that does matter, they're not going to listen to you. Classic example, okay? All the stuff that happened with Asada when the Sharks were there. Mm-hmm. There was so much negativity going on about in the game and the media and all the years before that that when the Asada stuff came along and all the journos were jumping in trying to get their own scoop or something bad that was going on, most of the public didn't believe any of them. Yeah, there was that problem, yeah. yeah. And so they started going to bigger extremes. But the, the worst one was... Um, the Johnny Manor thing that Rebecca Wilson went with. Mm-hmm. That was horrible. Yeah. And there was no evidence to support where she was coming from with there. There was a suggestion that there might have been some sort of a, a, a weak, tenuous link, but nothing rock solid of or evidence went with it anyway. And that just made the situation worse because we're going, what we need is information and facts to work from here that would be helpful and all you're doing is just being attacking and critical and spreading inf- misinformation like that, making it harder for us to believe what you're saying. And well, they want ju- to be taken seriously. Yeah. And it, look, it's just what journalists do these days, you know. Um, today, in a, in a non-rugby league story, there was a former Australian commando that sued the ABC because they said that he had done something in a for in a in an area of foreign combat that we're involved in as a nation and and something that was not very good they they accused his entire um i don't even know what we'd call it, but his group uh, of being involved in that and they they said it based off of what an an american soldier had heard somebody else talking about so it was a rumor that he had heard somebody else talking about Problem was, this guy and his, his group were not even in the country at the time, right? So we want a big payout from the ABC. Yep. Misinformation. They don't care. It, and they're all the fucking same. They're all a bunch of fucking sociopaths, these journalists, and they don't care. They don't fucking care. And the rugby league ones are the same. And they're the, the biggest outsiders. They love saying, oh, I'll give you the inside scoop. These people are not fucking insiders. They are outside the game. People inside the game laugh when they hear them call themselves insiders. Fucking hilarious. It's, I mean, the the biggest um, way to understand the way the media has gone now globally, right, is every single news article has the name of the journalist underneath the heading. If you go and look at any newspaper from as far back as you want to go, up until, say, even the 1950s, 1960s, you'll be hard-pressed to find any journalist name in any of the newspapers anywhere. And that's because they knew back then that the story was what was important and it had to be accurate. So there's no emotion, there's no opinion, there's none of that in there. They just go, here's the facts. And why? Because they're limited for space. 
got to make this thing as short as possible so it uses as less paper as possible and less ink as possible so it costs as little as possible so you can print them out as quickly as possible to get to the people. And now it's all sprinkled with opinion and the journal's a celebrity and the important part of the story. And the story is that. It's a story. It's Sometimes it's sprinkled with facts. And yeah, that's the way right. it is now. And it's yeah. that in between them arguing amongst themselves and like this, this stories that they put out is like, the guy I work with said something. And so I said something back and they run with that shit for a week. And it's like, none of this is news. No one cares what you guys think. Who cares what a fucking journalist thinks? Who gives a and, fuck? Um, and just, just uh, while we're on this topic, there'll be people who will think that's all a bit hypocritical that we constantly talk about what the journos are saying. Um, we're not legitimizing them. We're pointing out where they're wrong and why they're wrong. And uh, we, we are, say, it's a public service that we do for you. Yeah. Look, I watched that game between Australia and Samara, and I saw 17 Australian men go out there and do our country proud, and I loved it. You know, and, and Samoa played great. Samoa, they they were under an absolute onslaught by Australia early on in that match, and they managed to stem the, the bleeding, and they managed to try and fight back. The game was out of reach, but they fought hard and, and, and stuck with it and did themselves proud. Um, it was a pretty bloody good game. And, yeah, I, I was very happy with the Australian performance. And, um, you know, if anyone watched that game was thinking about the anthem, like, <laughs> it just would a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll look briefly because I didn't get to – this is the only game I saw a bit of. Yeah. Um, and I only got to see the first half. But what I did see um, – Stephen Crichton looks more comfortable as a five-eighth than he does as a fullback. He does, yeah, he does. Um, I don't know that it's where I would have him permanently, and it's like we've seen before where uh, international footy and even origin footy sometimes, like you can move into a different position and for whatever reason, the style of football, it just suits what you're trying to do. Um, but, yeah, he looked way, way better as a five-eighth than a fullback. And, you know, Samoa were let down – early on with um, with the drop balls and mistakes and stuff they made mm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that against Australia. Like, you can't give Australia anything. And Australia were uh, ruthless. We all know that. And, you know, there was a, a drop ball that Junior Paulo uh, did early on in the match. I don't want to say early on. I think it was about the 25th minute, something like that. <clears throat> Samoa didn't see the ball again for the next about 10 to 15 minutes, you know. That's and, right, yeah. And that's what it comes down to. Um, but as I said, they there was a point where it looked like Australia were going to put 60 on them, and it didn't end up that way. So they did. They actually did pretty well. And I think the thing that, to remember in this year's Pacific Championships, and this even goes for Australia, is that we're coming out of a period where we had no test football um, through, <clears throat> through COVID. And then we had the World Cup last year where everyone had to throw their teams together with no test football behind it. And so you're seeing nations still trying to get their their regular teams back together. Samoa had a very young side on the weekend that was very different from their World Cup final team. Yeah, there was barely anyone in that side who'd played in the, the World Cup. Yeah, and they, they were missing their best player in Jerome Luai, which was mm. massive. Um, I dare say if Jerome Luai had been there and he'd been fully fit, that it would have been a pretty friggin' close game. But... Uh, 
you know, I think that what we're what we will see in this specific championship this year will be a bit of a teams consolidating the the lineups they've got, get some young players, some runs on the board and stuff like that, get some experience. And I think in three years from now, we're really going to see some bloody good games because of it. So, um, so yeah, I think that's something to keep in mind when you watch these games. Absolutely. I think the one thing, too, that a lot of these Pacific Island teams who are playing Australia for one of the few times in, you know, last 20 years anyway, Tonga showed us the last time they played Australia the way to compete with them is don't try and play Australia's game and don't try and play an expansive game. Start your match like the first half hour. Um, Don't be too expensive in attack. Focus purely on your defense and holding the ball and getting the kicks to corners. Yeah, You want to make sure that when, when Australia's starting their set, they're not starting with Tedesco or whoever the fullback might be running from the middle of the field. Because everyone that Australia's got as a fullback option, including Tedesco, a lot of people seem to think he doesn't deserve to be there. Whether you do or you don't, doesn't matter right now. When he is there, in good form or not, if he's in the middle of the field picking up the ball, he's going to make good metres because he's going to have options to pass to left and right. Yeah. And he's always going to be a strong ball runner. So you've got to tuck them down in a corner. So if you're kicking to the right, kick it to the right corner and have your defence that are coming up on your left-hand side come in, cram him in there and try and jam Australia for two or three tackles if you can against that sideline. Because it gives your other half of your defence a bit of a break for a few tackles. Yeah. And you can stay set in that line. So it makes it harder for Australia to get through. They've got to just barge their way through, which they're good enough to be able to do that, but it'll take them a bit longer. And so you'll stay in the game longer. That's the way to do it. Um, I thought Samoa were trying to be a bit too clever early on. Yeah. And you you just can't. You've got to lay that groundwork first. That's the only way to do it. Yeah, and and I I guess the unfortunate thing too was that it was some of the more experienced players that were the culprits early on. And I, I guess, you know, when you think of their more experienced players, they weren't that much more experienced than their rookie players, like because we haven't played a great deal of test footy over the last few years. Um, and, of course, whenever you play Australia, like it's it's the hardest task in rugby league playing an Australian team. So, but they, look, they did pretty well. They fought back. Um, I think they'll, I think the last half of footy, they actually won by two points from memory, something like that. Um, and yeah, they, they did pretty well considering there are a lot of other teams that would have been absolutely 60 points put on them without question. And they managed to not do that. And that's a, that's something that will stick with them, you know, that they, they didn't allow that to happen. Um, it was interesting to watch. Like Tedesco played very, very well. He, he was great. Um, I thought Dylan Edwards, considering he was playing on the wing, he he actually did a lot of work and played pretty well as a, a winger. So he, I end up against Brian Toto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that was kind of interesting. Um, as you said, Crichton was very good. It's interesting that Australia is still going with Ben Hunt starting at hooker and Harry Grant off the bench. Um, I've been disappointed mm. with Grant's season. Hey, I don't think he played all that well. And, I, you know, even in this test match, he, he wasn't doing what you kind of would have hoped for. 
out of an Australian hooker, you know, especially later in the game. I thought he could have made more of an impact. Um, Cherry Evans was Cherry Evans. Like, man, he's going to play till he's 40. He, he just is. And he's going to play the exact same way. It's going to be like he's Cameron Smith of the halves, you know. He's just, you know what you get. Yeah. In five years' time, I know what Cherry Evans is going to do for me, you know. Um, and Cameron uh, Munster, Munster was just kind of like his season as well, just a bit disappointing at times. Um, I thought the Australian pack was very good. Payne Haas was solid again that first half. Yeah, he was great. He was really, really great. Um, but yeah, it was an all right test match to watch. And, and I felt like both teams got, probably got a whole lot out of that. I think that the, in an ideal world, um, Cleary would have probably been in the side and I would, I would have Cleary and DCE playing in the halves at the moment. I, I just think that they're the two best halves we've got for Australia at the moment. Yeah. And, um, just to get Cleary the reps, because it's weird to think he still hasn't got a great deal of test footy under his belt. Um, but, yeah, this I think everyone's going to – it's sort of like getting back in the swing of things this year, and, and we're going to see – the game's going to be better for it in three years' time. Oh, absolutely. And, look, I'd say that the, the only real deciding factor in this game for Samoa was the fact that they didn't have – their um you know what what they would have liked is their preferred spine yeah yeah this is you know the worst part is the fact that their their hooker was a second rower from the west tigers justin matamua um he's only 20 but you know he's six foot one and 105 kilos mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know i was just when i saw him named a hooker i went oh come on yeah, like, he's a big unit. He's got to run around for dummy half the whole game. It's a credit to him that he managed to to do it as well as he did. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, they really should have put someone else in that role. They could have put a like a centre out there to to do that role, just passing off the deck. Um, and you would have been able to get a bit more of Matamua off the bench as a as the wide running back role that he is because he does mm-hmm. have a he does have a good um, like line running game on him. It would have been good to use him for that. But uh, that was a weird decision for me. I don't know why they went with that option. And that's his first game at the top level at hooker. Yeah, well, it's like... I guess they for Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a rough one, eh? Um, <laughs> I mean, even saying, like going to Stephen Crichton saying, you know, Stephen, lucky to play 5-8 against Australia. It's a bloody big ask, you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, look, they look that they played pretty well considering. And in three years from now, they they will all have better depth. They will all have more experience. They'll have more players to choose from and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's it's got to be a long term strategy for these teams. And Samoa had a new coach for this game, which is is big for them. And and he'll be better than the old coach. It was not real good. So it's it's a first step. And it's a pretty bloody good first step for Small when you think about it, especially coming off the World Cup final last year. Um, and yeah, I, I, I thought they played really well. I was I was impressed with them. And they they come up against uh, New Zealand this weekend, um, and New Zealand's not going to have an easy time of it. So that, I'm really looking forward to that game. 
Now, in the other men's specific game, it was uh, Papua New Guinea beating the Cook Islands 46-10. Then McDonald picking up four tries. Um, mm. I watched this game too, and I tell you what, in the first, I think it was probably 35 minutes or so, PNG had about 75% of the <laughs> possession. <laughs> they were going so, at about a point a minute at that stage too. Yeah, and the I mean, the Cook Islands produce more talent per population than anywhere on planet earth it's it's like it doesn't even make sense um and they kind of did a similar thing that Samoa did like it could have been a 80 point thrashing very easily against a really tough you know png team who doesn't stop the game and they managed to stem the tide a little bit and it wasn't a huge amount but man just what they did was pretty impressive considering because they really early on they were, they were handing the ball over with poor kicking and and mistakes and stuff like that so they will have got a lot out of that performance as well even though the scoreboard probably suggests that it was a flogging um they managed to stop what was going to be much worse yeah I mean, it was basically png when the second half 16 10 mm, mm. so um that's pretty impressive for the cook islands they they can take plenty from that. Yeah, Brad uh, Takarangi played very well, former Parramatta player. Yeah. Um, playing at 5'8 as well, from memory. <laughs> yes. And put in a really nice kick for a try in the second half. It was just a beautiful play. And, yeah, um, I was like PNG, they've got some work to do because, like everyone, they've they've got to rebuild that international um experience and and get back into the swing of things how did their lock go i can't remember man <laughs> who's their lock jack de oh jack de yeah did he start at lock did he yeah yeah <laughs> weird so strange but um uh... yeah so the the women's games australia beat new zealand 16 to 10 mm-hmm. i watched um, that game as well actually that was a pretty bloody good test match. This is actually the one that I was legit looking forward to the most because um, they're so even, these two sides now. Mm. So you know that when you put this game on, you have no idea who's winning this game. And that's the sort of contest I want to watch. Um, whereas all the other ones that were on, you go, yeah, I can guess who's going to win those ones. And so it takes a little bit out of it. But this is the one I was genuinely keen on watching. And uh, it's a bit gutted I couldn't. Couldn't get home in time to watch this one from work. Well, the like the the New Zealand women's team used to just be so much better than Australia. They really, oh, yeah. and through Australia really getting a lot out of the State of Origin series, the women's State of Origin series, and then the introduction of the NRLW, which helps overall depth, and then COVID, which kind of shut down tests between the two nations. And then, that, you know, they used to have an NRLW team from memory and that couldn't be involved anymore. And so Women's Rugby League in New Zealand was kind of cut off from Australia from quite for quite some time. And when they come back together, it was really clear that Australian, the women's team in Australia and Women's Rugby League in Australia had just gone to like three or four levels above what was going on before COVID kicked in. And so I was a little bit worried going into this this game because the New Zealand women's team were really disappointing in last year's World Cup. And 
I was worried that it was going to be a flogging, but they they stepped up and they they gave Australia a really good game and it was a good close test match and hopefully that keeps going forward. I, look, if if you said to me two years from now that the New Zealand women's team were the best team in the world and there's not even a question about it, I wouldn't be shocked because that's where they were at. Yeah, and, and it was like when the Australian when the Australian women's team would win a game, it was like holy shit, they beat New Zealand. It was huge. So it'll be cool to see those two play a lot more games going forward and because uh, their games are, are fucking amazing. They're really... Oh, yeah. How good is women's rugby league? It's like... It's the best women's sport by miles. Well, as I said, like they... I, I've said it before when we've talked about it is um, they play it in the best possible spirit that the game's supposed to be played. Yeah. Like you get to see both the hard-hitting action you see through the forwards and in the middle of the field, but they're also not scared to throw the ball around when they see that opportunity presented to them. Yeah. Um, and there's no, um, you know, milking for penalties or, you know, grubby tackling and wrestling and stuff on the ground. Mm-hmm. There's just none of that stupid shit. They're just out there and they just say, right, what's the – we want to play the best version of rugby league we possibly can, and they just go out and do it. And it's just, it's so refreshing to be able to just sit down and watch rugby league being played as rugby league with no complaints about it for 80 minutes. Mm. Go, boom, great. What a brilliant game. And, and like they play with a whole heap of skill. Uh, the only area you see where it, it's, there's a, there's, it's like, I don't even know how to describe it. Cause when like the skill is fantastic. And the tough, like they hit each other in tackles, and I'll be sitting there watching the women's rugby league game and go like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> like they will build one another, right? The only time that you can see that there's a there's a real big difference is when they go for goal kicks because they just don't have the the explosive power in, in the kicking game. Um, so the goal kicks are a little bit. There, I don't even know the word to. It's like watching like a, you know, 14s kicking goals. Like they're not booting the shit out of the ball like yeah. the, the men do, right? Um, so that's the only area really that you see this massive difference because the passing game, like the timing on the passes, the plays they run, the vision to see like things opening up, it's so good. And What's the thing when, when you go back to when the first few seasons of the NRLW was on, a lot of the attacking plays with ball movement and stuff like that, they were the ball was moved far too early in the play. Yeah, yeah. Because it felt like it was a bit slower, so you know everything was just it was just a bit clunky. But in the space of basically three seasons, the skill level has improved so far, so mm. greatly, and so quickly that they are running plays right into the line. Well, there's there's no difference really into where they're playing, they're throwing those passes to as to where the men are playing. Like they'll go right up to the line and they'll throw those long balls if they need to. Mm. They're throwing the cutout passes with the same accuracy, with the same you know defense on top of them as they normally would. Offloads are getting better and better, um, and defense is getting better and better. Yeah, a lot of, you know a lot of one-on-one defense is um, so much better at wrapping the ball up. Mm. Um, that initial hit and stick is so much better now. It's not just a bunch of people just grabbing hold of one another and stopping them. They they're hitting with 
legit force. Yeah. And not only is it with legit force, they're able to handle the punishment of being hit with that force as well. So their bodies have got hardened to it as well. Yeah. Um, and so this has just been in the space of, we're talking like five years, the level of improvement, skill level, strength level, um, power, speed, or every aspect of it. Um, it's all improved out of sight. It's, yeah, it's been, been, crazy. been insane. And so yeah. I know we'd both been a little bit concerned about how fast they were um, expanding the game. Mm-hmm. And to a degree, it still is a little bit of a concern. But at the same time, when you look at the quality of the games being turned out and how quickly they're advancing and the new wave of talent coming in, the younger mm-hmm. players coming through, mm-hmm. are hitting the ground and their skill level and, um, you know, body strength is at a higher level than all the players who started out in 2018, I think it was. They're already starting at a higher level than what they did five years ago. So they're hitting the ground yeah. running at a great level to start with and getting better really quickly as well. You go, maybe it'll work out all right. Yeah, look, I think it's fair to say that our concerns weren't, warranted at the end of the day because like you look at a team like the gold coast who was you know a new team in the nrlw um and they had a bunch of teenagers in their team and those teenagers were fantastic and when the nrlw first started it was basically started with a lot of very experienced players in a very small competition well now you've got this much bigger competition and you know young women are coming into this competition as teenagers and they're already at a level which is very very high and you know there's nobody in the nrlw is getting absolutely flogged week in week out and obviously don't you know this it's not like we've had a team come into the competition it's like man they're getting flogged by 60 every week you know yeah. um, it's obvious we've we've expanded too quickly there's nothing nothing like that has happened so that's been good to see and uh I, I look. I think they should bring in two women's teams from New Zealand next season. Oh, I th- that's yeah. Look, just do at it. least at least one anyway. But yeah, they're definitely going to get the New Zealand team back in. Yeah, um, that's an absolute must. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the, the, as you say, the the jump in the women's game, and and I think that that was something that New Zealand, as I said, they were cut off from us. And then when they come back into it and there's this big leap has happened. And I know some of their players play in the NRLW, but not all of them. And no. so, yeah, I think that that big leap was, it was massive for them to have to get back up to speed. And they'll get there. As I said, before, before the NRLW and then COVID and all that, that women's New Zealand team, it was fucking amazing. Oh, insane. Yeah. Um, the other women's game that was on this uh, past weekend was uh, Samoa versus Fiji, and the Samoan women got up twenty six to twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that's probably most notable about that is that the the Samoan side had a lot of players from the NRLW, where I think there was only from memory four or five in the Fijian side. Yeah, I, I, I was reading an article. I don't know where it was, but they were talking about how. That's one of the untapped things in the women's rugby league game is the Fijian, you mm-hmm. know, element where obviously, I mean, Fijians are just, they, you find a Fijian do, dude who can play rugby league, you know, and there's no reason to think that 
it's not going to be the same thing for the women's game and that hasn't been tapped into yet. So um, hopefully that does start to get tapped into and we can watch NRLW games and be like, all the wingers should be Fijian like we do <laughs> in the NRL. <laughs> well, this is true. Now, look, this, uh, this weekend we've got coming up um, in the men's New Zealand plays Samoa mm-hmm. and Fiji takes on the Cook Islands and in the women's New Zealand plays Tonga and PNG plays Cook Islands. I think the th- I'm looking forward to seeing the Fijian men's team, hey? Um, oh, yeah. I I think that they might be my second favourite team to watch. I wouldn't be surprised if the New Zealand Samoa game mm. is. I reckon that'll be a pretty close contest. I think Samoa mm. will be the will be better for that run. Yeah, that, that's what I think too. And New Zealand, they had a pretty poor World Cup, and like they just didn't really get going. It felt like they just didn't get out of second gear, unfortunately. And they need to move their game to a new level. And I that, I really do think that Samoa got so much out of that game last weekend. They're going to be great for it. And yeah. the the Storm youngster, and I forget his name, the young bloke that, remember, he played a few games. Oh, for yeah, yeah. Young fullback. Yeah. yeah. He was fucking unbelievable. Like, he had uh, one of those. Sua Fa Longo. He had one of those games where... It, it was one of the, you know, every so often a fullback at International Rugby League has a game and you remember it either way. Darren yes. Lockyer's first game was putrid <laughs> at test level. Diabolically bad. Like some people saying this guy should never play for Australia again bad. Um, you know, Anthony Minicello was the opposite. It was like he, it, he just hit the ground running at test level. Uh, this young bloke hit the ground running. He... He was just outstanding. I, I, he is going to be a superstar. If I was a struggling club, I would throw money at him now because he's going to be amazing. He just has it. And you could see that when he played for the Storm. Oh, like he, no, he, guarantee you, Melbourne will lock him in long term because, um, A, he's a perfect cover for um, Pappenhausen if he gets injured again or doesn't get back. And if Pappenhausen does come back and stays fully fit and plays 300 games, this kid is going to be a great winger. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you've got both bases covered. So he's going to – I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh, if he's not in the first-grade side full-time for the Storm next year. He was – like, he was ordering players around where they yeah. had to be. Um, he scored one try, which he just fucking tore the game open. And they called it back for something silly. I think they got the call wrong. I can't remember what it was now, but I think they got the call wrong. Oh, that's right. They said that a Samoan player had knocked the ball into an Australian player. I thought they got it wrong um, in the lead up to his him getting the ball and just fucking tearing Australia apart. So, um, yeah, he was friggin' so good. So it'll be cool to see how he goes this week. Absolutely. Now, uh over in England, they played some rugby league games of some importance. <laughs> yeah, we had the uh, the grand final between uh, Wigan and Catalan Dragons. I watched that game in full. Uh, Catalan Dragons, they had two players sent to the sin bin in the game, both of them correct calls. They should have gone to the sin bin. Um, and they just, 
it was pretty close game in the first half and it could have gone either way. And then in the second half, Wigan stepped up to a different level and the Catalan Dragons just didn't. And, and that was basically the ball game. Um, I believe that the Catalan Dragons are the first team to have not scored a try in a grand final, but you didn't watch it. I've watched a lot of Super League grand finals where it's a disappointing contest. Like you, you, And normally for us, we wake up super early in the morning to watch these games and, and you think, oh, I hope it's a good game. And you're watching it like, oh, my God, why did I wake up for this bludger of a game? Yeah. This game wasn't like that. It didn't feel like that. It felt like a real good contest. And Wigan were just they were just too good for them and uh, really deserved the victory. So, like, I didn't regret watching the game at all. And there's been so many finals that have been like that from England. It was really refreshing to see that. I will say that the 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 wrestling in the um, play the ball and that just the hold, not the play the ball in the tackle and the holding down was like an extreme level of that. Yeah, look, that has crept into the game during the COVID years. Yeah. Um, like, uh, it's always been there, but it, it really ramped up during the COVID years, and I don't think they know how to get rid of it. Well, I think that they, like, remember when they had it where it was almost like touch football um, yeah. around the ruck? The ruck speed was ridiculous, and... The, you used to get people that would be like, oh, it's all attacking football. It's like, yeah, it's all attacking. There's no defense, you know? It, it, it was early 2000s NRL. Yeah. And yeah. the problem is when you knew that it went to that point and it got that fast, you knew the first thing that was going to happen was teams would go, right, we're going to slow it down. Yeah, and that, like, I think it's good for the game in England that they did go that way, to be honest with you, because uh, that touch footy style of game is just terrible. Yeah. Um. And it it's not conducive to being a good test team either. It doesn't um, even create good attacking players. No. It do, exactly. It doesn't because you're just rolling off the back of a. Yeah. Uh, the defense is cost on the back foot. You just run basic, simple plays on the side. It doesn't matter what you're doing because the defenders are going backwards the whole time. Exactly. And there, there's no playmaking. There's no yeah. reading of what the defense is doing. Trying to make the defense do something because they're just backpedaling. Um, so I'd rather see it like this than the other way. But uh, but aside from that, like, um, there was there was a couple of bad decisions by the video ref, but at the end of the day, like, Wigan were just definitely the better team and, and deserved their victory, and the Catalan Dragons just, they, they just couldn't step up when Wigan did in that second half, and that was basically the ball game. Well, it was a, a double whammy for the French because uh, Toulouse lost the championship grand final as well to the London Broncos, 18-14, to 14, despite leading 14-4 to four at half time at their home ground. Yeah, that's a rough one, hey? That's a, that's a choke. Yeah. I didn't watch this game, but it's fantastic news that London are back in Super League. Um, I bet IMG... IMG's been really careful to make sure that all the criteria they put in place is hard to argue with. And I bet in IMG's ideal world, they could, they would have said, and you're both in Super League, but they can't really do that when they say, no, 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 we can't make exceptions, exemptions. You know, it's, it's, it, but it's good that London's back and they're back in an era where it's going to be hard to get rid of them as long as they stay solvent. <laughs> 
But so you, you didn't want to see you, you didn't think the uh having Featherston in the in the Super League was a good idea? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I will, I, say, I will say this, not defending them or anything like that, but their record this year in championship, ridiculous. Mm. 27 games, 25 wins, 4,079 against 295. That's an average score of 40 to 11. Yeah, <laughs> and they didn't even make the final. I know, it's pretty crazy. It's fucking um, weird. Blues were second, Bradford third. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheffield fourth, London fifth, and York was sixth. Aside from Featherston, those are there's five other really decent sized regions there. Yeah, and we talked about this a couple of years ago in in the championship that it was when you look at the geography of it, it was much more interesting competition in Super League. Um, and it's unfortunate the the news this week that you know the Newcastle Thunder are out. Yeah. Um and, and you know, you and me were talking about that before the podcast, but yeah, that that championship is man, if they cultivate the right teams and, and manage to get them into Super League, Super League might actually start to go somewhere. Um but whether that will happen or not, who knows? Well, where's this news of well, I'll try and find the actual story about um Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um, choosing choosing to, uh, because I believe they got relegated to League One. Um, here we go. RFL statement: Newcastle Thunder informed the RFL this week that they will be withdrawing from League One following their relegation at the end of 2023. The owners have made assurances that they will be fulfilling contractual obligations to players and staff. A meeting has already been arranged for League One clubs to consider the impact of Newcastle's withdrawal. The RFL recognised that this decision will also come as a blow to the community game in the northeast and the many positive elements of Newcastle's foundation, including women's and learning disability teams. That was pretty much it from the RFL. There hasn't been a huge amount uh, revealed as to what else was going on there. Mm. Uh, it's all been a bit weird. Mm. Yeah, and no, like... It's weird that the Rugby Football League keeps having teams that we get to the end of the year and, you know, they're either the teams that fail to get promotion or that get relegated and they just say, look, we're folding. And some of them don't fold, but it's weird that we we keep getting to this point. And, you know, the, the, the perilous financial state that the game is in over there where... You know, you've got the, and it's funny, the World Cup was supposed to be separate from the Rugby Football League, and then lo and behold, the Rugby Football League's left, you know, counting the cost of it. Uh, Super League clubs are getting a smaller amount of money because the Rugby League World Cup was such a failure. And then, you know, there was news this week that Sky will finally show all of the games of Super League for every round, but it's for less money than they've ever got before. But at least now all the games will be worth something. Yeah, I think that I think at the end of the day, the thing that they needed to get was every game live on air. Mm-hmm. And if it meant that for one TV rights deal, they had to take a hit, it was for the best. The main goal now is now that they've got every game on there, now is the time that they need to work their asses off 
and make it something that will make TV networks go, hey, we want that on our broad- on We want to broadcast that ourselves and make them yeah. want to fight for it because that's when the prices of the rights go up and that's when the money starts coming into the game. Yeah, and part of me thinks that <clears throat> in an ideal world, you would have somebody that was managing the Super League competition so that when you get a team that comes up like London, um, there, there's something in place where there's, sal- I don't know, salary cap dispensation or something that they can actually get the talent together in enough time um, and maybe, like, look to buy some some good players from, like, the Queensland and New South Wales Cup to come in and, and um, bolster that team and make sure they're, they're good from the get-go. And I would say that for whoever it is that come up, even if it was to lose as well. Um, because they, they should actually just go all out and make sure that if they're getting a, like a Queenslander, hmm. right, when they get there, say, right, you have to speak with a, with a London accent. <laughs> and all the players, when they get off the team bus, they all have to get off wearing um, a top hat and suit mm-hmm. and have a cane. Maybe Who even what? a pipe. Michael Kane. Oh, he can be there. He can be the mascot. <laughs> they need to just really amp up the London thing. <laughs> yeah, they gave even go out on the field wearing the top hats. Yeah, why not? When the ball goes into touch, just go over to some little boy on the field and says, "Oh, lad, go get me a ball." I thought London these <laughs> days was. I, I thought London these days was mostly known for its knife crime. Well, there you go. <laughs> we'll leave the we'll leave the the crime to the north. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're better skilled at it if, if uh, recent TV shows, the Peaky Blinders, anything to do with it. Well, it's not recent, <laughs> but, you know. Oh, it's all um, the fucking same. You go to Salford, <laughs> it's the exact same, mate. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Salford. It's where they fucking filmed, uh, what's it called? What, remember that show where they the guy went back to, like, 1976? What was that called? Oh, uh, Life on Mars. Oh, Life on Mars. Yeah, it goes back to, like, 1976 or something. And they didn't have to change one location in <laughs> Salford. I'm not even joking, eh? That's brilliant. Uh, here's, here's the official announcement from Newcastle. Um, following the official confirmation that the Thunder have been relegated from the championship this season, Newcastle Thunder Limited has made the difficult decision not to participate in next season's competition. It is with great sadness that we make this announcement. Growing rugby league in the Northeast was an incredible journey, and we're all devastated that it did not work out. Unfortunately, the impact of COVID combined with the low levels of regional growth and development in the game means that it isn't feasible to continue. And and that's the thing. It that's pretty honest. Just isn't feasible to continue. And there, there'll be a lot said about it, but that part of it will be forgotten. Low um, levels of regional growth and development. Yeah. Is that a subtle or not too subtle dig at the RFL? A po- look, it possibly is, but the uh, overall thing is that this rugby league club, at the end of the day, was just too, it, it, it wasn't worth running. It was costing too much money to to try and make this thing happen, and that's a problem because it's I mean it's fucking Newcastle. It's not like we're talking about a team in you know some far flung place. Um, when rugby league stops working in northern England, it's a problem. They've had a pretty long history of struggle. Yeah. Let's be honest. So 
We'll do a brief, quick history here. This is just season by season, not going into great detail. But they, they came along in 1999 and were immediately dumped into Super League. Yeah, as the, um, Gates, as the Gates head, were they called the Thunder? Gates head? Yeah. yeah, and that was led by uh, Shane Richardson and they splashed out the cash. I think they got a Kevin Walter, uh, Kev, Kerrod Walters, sorry, was a big name player they got. And, and just a typical Super League expansion. Lots of money thrown at it, and it fucking collapsed pretty quickly. Do you remember who the top try scorer was? Uh, I'm going to guess this, right? Yeah. And it'd be funny if I'm right. Was it Matt Daylight? It was Matt Daylight. I fucking knew it! <laughs> uh, your boy. Yeah! Your boy. Pl- plays fullback for the North Queensland Cowboys now. That's him, yeah. He's mm. going good. Uh, Ian Heron was their top point scorer that year. Yeah, the Chook. The Chook. Um, yeah, who else did they get? Ke- no, Carrot Walters. Who else oh, was Car- Yeah, Carrot Walters is there. Ke- yeah, yeah Carrot Walters. Um, Danny Lee. Danny Lee, yeah. Andrew Former. Hick. I don't remember him. Uh, played for Cronulla. I think he might have even played for Penrith. Uh, Andrew Hicks. Hick. No, they didn't play for Pinner. It was Cronulla. Then played for the Magpies for a year, and then Adelaide. Okay, yeah. Um, Will Robinson, who I think, if I think right, this is the guy who played for Balmain. Yes. Mm-hmm. Balmain South Nilawara. He had the the trio of great rugby league teams in Sydney. Am I thinking Andrew Henson played for? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Who else was on here that might have played in the NRL? Uh, Craig Simon, Brett Grogan. From the Craig Knights. Simon played for them. He was a good player. Yeah. Luke Felsch, Tony Grimaldi. Yeah. Bulldogs Danny McAllister, player. Ben Samet, Dion Bird, uh, Brian Carney as a 23-year-old, Willie Peters, who's 20. It wasn't yeah, a mate, bad squad. You can, you can see, like, you put that team in Super League, that would go pretty fucking well right now. But they they spent all this money. And, yeah, it just <laughs> it's collapsed. Well, look, the crazy thing is, okay, they finished sixth, so they weren't disrespectful. They 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 were pretty solid. They had 19 wins from 30 games. Yeah. But for some reason, they didn't exist in the year 2000. They weren't kept in Super League. They ended up merging with – I'm trying to th- think how it worked was, out. Cause it, was it Newcastle? It was – they they ended up merging with Hull FC. Oh, they were right. called the Hull Sharks at that time, from memory. Right. And then, because I, I think it was <laughs> the same time that the Sheffield Eagles and I think Huddersfield did a merger yeah. as well. Yeah. But then it was like the it was the because I when it happened I was calling them the Gates Hull Thunder Sharks. <laughs> um, and actually, I actually had conversations with somebody that was involved in calling Hull the Sharks at the time. And yes. it, you know, like, I, I see their point of view, but it, like, it, I, why would you change Hull FC? You know? Stupid. It, yeah, silly. Um, but they tried, you know, and, and it didn't work out. But, yeah, they, they did that merger, which obviously wasn't a merger at all. It was just they took the assets and re, redid the Hull FC. That's right. Um, well, Gates, Gateshead came back the following year in 2001 in second mm-hmm. division. Mm-hmm. Uh, two wins from 28 games. Finished 17th out of eight, 19 teams. Then in 2002, got the wooden spoon, lost 
26 of 27 games. The one game they didn't lose was a draw. Uh, so they got relegated to um, League One, third division, and they spent the next six seasons there. Mm-hmm. Yo-yoing around, then in 2008, they topped uh, third division and got promoted back up to second division. And they finished seventh in 2009 and then got dropped back down again. I think they might have even gone... Did they go broke that year? Because they only played 20 games. Oh, no, that's all the season was. Okay. I don't know I don't know why they got relegated, though. They finished seventh out of 11. Might have been RFL. one of those... Yeah, it might have been one of those years where they were doing their next oh, revolution. Super might it have been the Super 8 thing? Oh, it could have been, yeah. I I don't know. That's weird. No, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I can't explain it. They even won their last four games of the year and had a buy. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. Racism, I guess. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Let's go with that. Um, so I heard they got relegated because they didn't sing hard enough during national anthems. That's right. That's exactly what it was. They weren't singing the Australian national anthem properly. Yeah, they were celebrating too hard when they scored tries as well. <laughs> there was have. just too too much ass slapping going on. Yeah, it's like I mean, come on. Yeah. Give your firm handshake and nod, and then you move on. You go That's back right. to halfway. I, I wrote you a nice card. <laughs> You'll get it in the post next week. Well done, sir, on your splendid try. <laughs> um, so from 2010 to 2020, they were in third division. They picked up three wooden spoons in a row, 2010 to 2012. In that time, they had combined two wins and 55 losses. Rough trot. It's a rough trot. Sounds um, worse than it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then they started to pick up a bit. There were a lot of mid-table finishes. And then 20, 2019, they were third, and they made it to the grand final, were runners-up. Um, they were third in... 2020, but that was after just two games due to COVID. They got promoted to second division for 2021. They spent their three seasons there languishing in the bottom half of the ladder. And now they're no more. I think the most disappointing thing is that it felt like they were maybe doing something organic there. And obviously, like, it just wasn't working, no matter what it looked like. And, you know, it's something that, rugby league in the UK needs to think about like it's not very far from their heartlands this has happened where the the club has come out and said that it just can't be sustained and that should be a big wake up call to everyone it won't be it won't be but it should it should be like alarm bells I will say this from 2012 to 2023 they made the finals three times which is three times more than the West Tigers have (laughs) <laughs> did you see my post I did today on Twitter where I said, if someone was in a coma for 10 years and they woke up today, what's the first footy news you'd tell them? And people were saying stuff like to me like, um, oh, Penrith don't suck anymore, which like would be really weird to find out. Like if someone said, dude, you know that Penrith team, they sucked. Well, they're maybe the greatest team in the modern history at the moment. <laughs> if you, if you, if you, Went into a coma. West Tigers sucked. Woke up 10 years later. They still suck, man. They're even so the, worse, though. 
if if it was a West Tigers fan who woke up from a coma, they'd say, oh, how'd the Tigers go on? I'd get a bedpan and send them back into a coma for another 10 years. <laughs> I'll wake you up when things are better. West Tigers, you're in a coma for 10 years, right? You're probably on the fucking board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly where you are. <laughs> Comatose fucking drongos. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's all right. Um, you know what's going to turn around, don't you? Fucking buy Bradman Best. That'll do it. They should spend more money on him, to be honest. Yeah. He, well, he's a marquee talent. Well, he will be once the Tigers give him a bloody $3 million for two years or whatever the fuck they're going to do. It's going to be good. Good times. I call bullshit on that. Yeah. Only because I don't think anyone wants to go to the West Tigers anymore. It was hard enough to get them to convince players to come to them when they weren't the worst team in the comp. Yeah. Now that they are legitimately the shittiest team for the last two years, like comfortably, yeah. no one's going to want to go there now. I, I don't know, because Appy Corusau, he, he got a, a big pile of money to do it, and he, he showed that y- you can still stand out in a horrible, it's, horrible team. To a degree, that, that's probably, there's probably some of the truth to that. Mm. Um. But in saying that, Appy doesn't need to prove anything to anyone anymore. That's a good point. And so he's doing this and he's performing the way he is because that's who he is as a human. Mm-hmm. I think what the Tigers need to be doing is trying to get good young talent to the team that they can build around and they can't attract shit. Yeah. And that's the problem. Appy, Appy's only going to be so much of a draw and we're going to struggle to see how much that is because two spoons and they just keep churning through coaches, you know, and you've got a rookie coach next year. If you were, mess. if you were, I thought about this before when we talked about him, Melbourne storm, you did you sort of go back to your friends at the West Tigers and say, man, imagine having Pappenhausen back. I know you won't get him for, you know, the next 11 months. But imagine having him back. <laughs> well, there's already talk that the Storm want to do a swap and send Olam to the West Tigers. It's weird how Olam sort of just fell out of their team, hey? Yeah. I don't well, know crazy, what's going on there. The crazy part, though, of that story mm. is that Sean Bloor has been the person to do the swap, yet he's very heavily tipped to be going to the Super League next year. Oh, really? Yeah. He's too good for Super League. He's also too good for the West Tigers. I agree, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I, I You know, I wouldn't mind... Ol- I wouldn't normally mind Olam, but I don't know what happened in the second half of the year. But when the Storm... When the storm fall off you like that, it worries me. Because the storm don't tend to go off their own players like that. And I, I, I don't know anything about the situation, if there is a situation. But it was very strange that he was like one of their key players and then just was gone. I wonder how much of that comes down to Cameron Munster not being too strong. Because I'm pretty sure... He plays all heavily on Olam's side. Mm. And given that he hadn't been too strong, neither did Jerome Hughes for the back end of the season. Mm. Um, given they hadn't been that strong, a lot of their 
gameplay, when their halves start to struggle, they become a very forward-dominated team. A lot of their attack starts from what their forwards are doing. Yeah. And I wonder how much is because of that, because we didn't see too much from the wingers. Oh, sorry, from their centres at all. No. Most of the weird tries the wingers got came through kicks to corners. Mm-hmm. Um, or with Warbrick, it was, you know, he was just that big and fast. He was able to get around a lot of players, and he'd come infield a bit every now and then, try to look for the ball, mm. like a good winger would. Yeah. Um, and so it took the centre out of the game. And I think that might have, it might have just been a change in style to try and not lose too much momentum until the halves got a bit of form back. Mm-hmm. I think that might have been what happened because I don't think either of their centres were really that strong this year. No, they weren't. And, like, I mean, Hughes was – I don't think Hughes was uninjured at any point this year, to be honest with you. Um, I have a feeling maybe the long season last year kind of wore him down a bit, which is understandable. It was a very long year last year. Well, um, for for months or two, I think yeah, that that is a very very valid point for both of them. Yeah, yeah, because Munster like Munster went from being talked about as a million dollar a year marquee signing for either them or the the Dolphins, and you know if you had to make that decision now, you're not giving him the million bucks. And and we're both of you and me are massive fans of him, but his his football this year was just not not anywhere near the standard he sets, which is normally so high. Um, but, you know, at the Storm, like this time next year, we'll probably be talking about how they won the grand final. This is exactly right. Munster played 30 games last year. Yeah, I mean, and he's a physical player too. Like, he gets in, he gets stuck into it. It's not yeah. like a lot of halves that can play, you know, and, and play in a suit. He uses his size and his frame to bust through the line and make things happen. So, um, cause he did, he looked like a dude that was tired this year. And to, on top of like the storm being there or thereabouts every year of his entire career, eventually it's going to wear you down. Yeah, look, he's, he's played at least 20 games every season of his career so far. Yeah. He's had 195 NRL games, 18 origins, and 10 tests. Yeah, that's a lot of footy. And he's not even... Th- he'll be 30 at the end of next year. I mean, that's a career. Hmm. So, yeah, probably that. Uh, yeah, I think there's a fair, fair amount of merit to all of that. Um, What else has been going on? Uh, I don't think too much else. I, I still getting over the Panthers thing, which... Is oh, what happened still- with the Panthers? Yeah, they won some fucking footy games. Um, and then it's been cool to see that uh, I don't think anybody's attacked the Broncos, which is fantastic because they don't deserve it. They they were fantastic in that grand final. I've I've probably watched the the highlights in the second half and stuff of that grand final. I, I've watched it maybe every day since, except for two or three days trying to wrap my head around what happened. Um, and it's just, it's crazy. I, I could never ask for another thing out of rugby league. It's given me everything now, so that's pretty cool. So you're happy for the uh, the Panthers to lose to the Tigers in the grand final next year? Well, the, the Tigers have, the, the West Tigers in the New South Wales Cup, are they? <laughs> <laughs> they are, I think. Who cares? Oh, man. It's it's weird that it's weird that we're in an era where 
Like someone, when I was doing that 10 year thing, somebody said, like, you could tell somebody that the Broncos lost two grand finals in the last couple of minutes. And in between that, they won a wooden spoon, Mm. which is fucking insane. And it shows what the NRL is like, where you can honestly go from the worst team in the competition to being a top side in a few years if you do things right, unless you're the West Tigers. That's the thing. Nearly every single team has done it. Mm. West Tigers somehow don't know how to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not somehow don't know. They legitimately don't know how. Yeah, I've got no idea. It was interesting to see uh, because we we would have talked about a lot of this stuff last week if if either of us had been felt like we weren't dying. Yes. Um, (laughs) The the death was strong. (laughs) We were were watching the fucking crows flying circles above us. Um, The talk that the chairman could have been out because the owners of the club were sick of the situation that was going on there. Nothing's come of that. And then in the space of three days, the West Tigers talked about buying Bradman Best. Uh, they talked about having a brand new stadium built in Liverpool, <laughs> which was funny. They just basically tried to smother the fuck out of the story of the chairman possibly being outed with all of these ridiculous news stories and rumours and stuff like that. It was kind of crazy to watch, um, which was very West Tigers. And, by the way, nothing happened, which was very West Tigers. Um, The only other thing I wanted to talk about in the podcast is this weird phenomena that we're seeing happening at the Bulldogs. And I, I don't know if it's real or not, but they keep on in Channel 9 Media, you keep on seeing things about players at the Bulldogs that are probably the sort of players that they want to move on just because of their salaries and stuff. And in Channel 9 Media, it's like, oh, the inside information is this guy's a problem. Ooh, the inside information, this guy's got an issue. Oh, the inside information. And it keeps on coming out of the Bulldogs. And this week it happened about Josh Adokar. You know, one of the greatest wingers the game has ever seen. And it's like, really? What the fuck? Wow. I Man, has Phil Gould ever had a job where he doesn't have drama around him? No. And uh, how much of that drama, as a percentage, is because of him? Sometimes drama happens around certain people and it's attracted to them. Mm. How much so are those people creating the drama and how much does it just have the drama attracted to them? And that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. Like that's the, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? It is. It is. I tell you one of the weird things, and I talked about this on last episode. um, I obviously watched all of the Panthers stuff from the last couple of weeks and I watched the entire awards ceremony and uh, Ivan Cleary had an amazing speech that he talked for 20 minutes about the German... And the media took the shit on him because he said the word fuck. Yeah, he said fuck, yeah. It was great. Anybody that hasn't seen it, um, it's all on YouTube. You go to the Panthers, uh, the Panthers YouTube page and they put his speech up just by itself. It's great. Yeah. Didn't He, he didn't mention... And nobody did mention Phil Gould's name, which I thought 
was uh, I th- I thought it was very interesting. I what chances are then? Phil Good sat there watching that whole award ceremony live, mm-hmm. just because he wanted to hear his name being mentioned. He wanted to hear himself being thanked. Yeah, it was just it was very int- It was I don't think it was on purpose. I don't think, but it was just every single person that talked about this great journey they've all been on over the last number of years. And they talked about all of the people that were involved and who made decisions and who deserves thanks and stuff like that. And it was just a name you didn't hear, you know, and it, at the end of the day, you were like, Oh yeah, that, that, that happened. You didn't hear Phil Gould's name once. So, and it was, it was very interesting, especially when Ivan Cleary is talking about, and because and it's very interesting in the media and the way it was framed was that obviously we all know like Phil Wood said that Ivan was tied and got rid of him, which was a terrible mistake. And then Phil Gould brought him back with this great deal, right? But it and then when Ivan Cleary talks about it, he was talking to I think it was the chairman of the club, and he was the one that did it. Oh boy! Fucking interesting, man. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah. Tell you what, Cameron Seraldo, you got to do it, man. You got to go to that board, Cameron. Oh man. Be Cameron Seraldo. Would you go to the board and say, "Get him the fuck out of here, please"? In a fucking heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> I, if if I was Cameron Seraldo, I would have said. Okay, I'll take on this job, right? This is what he should have done before he signed any fucking paperwork. I'll take on the job, so long as you can confirm absolutely 100% that Phil Gould will be gone before the end of the year. Yes. Let him stay for this year so he can finish what he's got to do. End of the year. Thank you, Phil. You've done great. Go find something else to do. I've got a question for you, Andrew. Mm Mm-hmm. When I, I know when I say that to people on the podcast, they freak out a little bit. But I think you, you've known me long enough. I'm not going to chuck something at you. Um, what's your credit card number? No. <laughs> uh, Four. Oh. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll read it out. Good luck using it. How do you steal nothing, man? <laughs> um, <laughs> if if Phil Gould left the west uh the the bulldogs tomorrow would and he went to the west tigers and he said i'm I'm gonna be here for two years and that's it would you would you think that he would do a positive job there um no you don't no because he definitely did something positive when he went to penrith initially My my answer is not based on anything to do with Phil Gould. I think the problem the West Tigers have got is, well, it's not one problem. Everything about the club is completely wrong and needs to be fixed. And they need, <laughs> they need the right board in place for mm-hmm. Gould to work with. Because mm-hmm. the problem they've got, if you bring Phil Gould in there, he will overpower those two men running that club at the moment. We know that. Yeah. They have no balls. Yeah. And also, most obviously, no fucking clue what they're doing. 
I so also, Gould will come so, in there. He'll dominate them, and he'll get whatever the hell he wants, including a 35-year contract extension and the head <laughs> coaching role if he wants it, and you know, $35 million a year and all sorts of stuff. And he'll be distracted by all the stuff that he's adding to look after himself. What the club needs to be doing is focusing on and, – and right now, they've got to stop caring about whatever they're going to be doing next year. Next year's a fucking write-off already. They yeah. need to start looking at, right, let's start turning this ship around long-term Get rid of the people on the board. Get rid of that dickhead running the fucking show. So I'm talking about Potato and Chairman Lee. They both need to be out of the club. I don't care if it means Brian Lawyers fucks off as well. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your money. Goodbye. Yeah. It's all got to be part of ways. And next time they bring in a sponsor, you're not allowed on the board, okay? Here's what you do. You give us your fucking money and we'll put your fucking name on the jumper. That's it. End of fucking deal. Yeah. Right? Then get people who are not affiliated with West Magpies or Balmain Tigers to run the club and the board, right? And run it like a business and like a football team that needs to win games. Then get people involved around Benji Marshall because he needs as much help as possible. People with experience, people like Mick Potter, mm-hmm. to be his assistant coach, to show him, you know, help him around, lead him around the park. Get some genuine people in there and focus on defense, forwards. And get a half back. Yeah. Right? The rest you can make up as you need to go. You need to get those three things sorted out. No team that wins a premiership in the last 50 years has done so without those three things. You've got to be a good defensive team. You've got to have a good forward pack. You've got to have a half back that's decent. It's just that's your minimum three. And the Tigers don't have any of those, and they haven't for a long time. So that's what they've got to sort out if they want any sort of success, and they need to get their juniors sorted out, they need to get a proper pathway system in place, and they need to get their asses over to fucking Campbelltown permanently. Mm. And, yeah, I know you set up your centre of excellence. It's in a stupid fucking place. Set it up in, in Campbelltown. Put it on wheels and wheel it up the road. I don't give a shit. But that's where it should have been is in Campbelltown the whole fucking time. Get everything out there. How stupid is this club? And then once you're out there and you've set yourself up out there, if you want, just for nostalgia's sake, play two games a year at Leichhardt Oval. Fine, whatever. But you've got to be playing half-year home games as an absolute minimum at Campbelltown. Absolute minimum has to be half of them. And I hear next year they're going to be playing, um, was it five games at five games at Leichhardt, five games at Campbelltown and two elsewhere or something like that. Really? Wow. It's a start, but it's not... It's not right. You don't need to be playing more games at Leichhardt. It's got to be less. Yeah, yeah. It should have been, you know, at least seven at Campbelltown, two or three at Leichhardt and two elsewhere. That's the sort of split they should be doing. And then once you've got more than six games a year at Campbelltown, go to the council, go to the state government and say, we're playing a lot of games here. We need a marquee stadium. Give us a fuck ton of money so we can turn this into a venue that's got – you know, at least 18,000 seats in it. And it looks like something that wasn't put together by a bloke at the back with three pieces of fucking corrugated iron and a hammer. <laughs> and then we can start looking at the future with a bit of optimism. Yeah. At the moment, it's a shambles of a club. It looks like it's... <laughs> it looks like a team wearing jumpers that were made this year, but everything else about the club was something that came out of 1941. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very strange and like I mean that that story and I think it wasn't a real story about 
there possibly being a, a new stadium to trying to get it at Liverpool, which I don't understand the Liverpool thing. Like, I just don't get that. But um, I, it, it just summed up the directionless manner that this club has been running. Like, they, in the last 12 months, they've gone to the government and tried to get money for Leichhardt in Campbelltown and now a new stadium that doesn't exist at Liverpool. And it's like, why would the government take any of that shit seriously? It, you know? Um, They're just not. They, they went through, they copped so much shit for building the new Allianz Stadium. Mm. So much shit. There's no mm. way no one, any council or state government, is going to be building any more brand new stadiums in Sydney. It's just not happening. No. It's it's political death. They're not going to do it anymore, but they will pour money into upgrading current stadiums. Yeah, at least you can you can come away with something then. And yeah, and look, they'll say yes to upgrading Campbelltown. They're not going to say yes to upgrading Leichhardt because in order to upgrade Leichhardt, you've got to rip down what's there first. Because it, white ants. So, I mean, you can't, you can't work with that. No, nah, white ants is a white ants is a problem. In the building industry, yeah. And look, I'll I'll tell you a thing too. It's going to be a problem for even if they do upgrade it, because I'd almost be certain they're in all the fucking trees that are around the ground. Yeah, right. You're not getting rid of them. They're in the ground. They're everywhere. Okay, so just get out of there. The the funny thing was when that news came out about the the fanciful stadium at Liverpool. The uh, whoever the fuck it is is the mayor of that that Leichhardt area. He started winching and saying, "Oh, the the Tigers belong here and stuff." And it's like, "Hey, how about you put some money into the fucking stadium then?" <laughs> Which they have never done ever, ever, ever. Um, I just thought it was ridiculous. If I was the government, I would say, "You pick one place and stop playing at all of these other stadiums, or go away." You know, if they if they got a new stadium that down there in the Macarthur region. And it was it was a, a stadium <laughs> for them and the soccer club, the MacArthur Bulls Soccer Club, and they completely gave up on the other stadiums. So those stadiums could get, you know, bulldozed and and fucking turned into flats. Um, then you could maybe justify it because you could say, well, our costs are actually lower because we've got just this one stadium as opposed to the two other ones. But yeah, that's the starting point. Like. How many stadiums do they want? Yes. <laughs> that's how many they want. Yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> but I, I don't believe it was real. And I, I, it, it was rough because I had some Bulldogs fans saying, oh, is that where – are they building that – would they build that in the same place where the Bulldogs were trying to build it? And <laughs> what happened there? Because, you know, some people, you know, they're too young to remember. And it was rough because it's like I didn't know how to tell them what happened, so I I just had to send a link to the ICAC inquiry. Yeah, it's like the, I know Oasis out there. Yeah, 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 and and they were like, oh, and it was just, and I was like, yeah, I know, I'm sorry, it just, that's it's just horrible. What a horrible time that was for Bulldogs fans. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. The Tigers would come out and do the same thing, except they'd tell. The NRL that it was okay. Yeah. Now listen, it's fine. No, we make the rules. Yeah, we just what we've done. They they do it in reversing it all back up. What we've done is we've 
we've not filled up our thirtieth player in the thirty man squad. Mm. We've kept that twenty that thirtieth player spare. And the money that we would have allocated for a player there, we're putting that into this new big sporting complex we're gonna play, right? But we do need you to increase our salary cap by about one billion dollars, okay? That's so that we can fund that. Now that they would go to the NRL and say, Listen, we work this out, right? Penrith spends ten million bucks on their team every year. We're building a new stadium, right? So if we spend ten million bucks, but then Bradman Best turns into a concreter on a million and a half bucks a year, then we can spend more money on top of the salary cap and beat Penrith. What do you reckon? I know it's not Ian Schubert anymore. I wonder who it is that took Ian Schubert's place. Someone with a calculator still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just look at the West. <laughs> I reckon when, when the salary cap order comes up, he goes to the West Tigers, he's gone, oh, I'm going to need a double, <laughs> double coffee this week. <laughs> this is going to be rough. <laughs> have you got that? Have, hey, someone get the secretary. In here. Have, have you got that like instruction booklet? You know, the dummy's guide to salary caps. Yeah, I kind of need that. <laughs> Actually, make it two copies. Two morons I've got to speak to this week. Yeah, that's rough. That's Is there any chance you can condense it down to like one page of just dot points? Maybe use pictures and crayons. Yeah, yeah, perfect. It, it's really crazy though that you're like looking forward. You can, and for most teams, they've got something to look at. Like even, you know, if you're the Bulldogs, you can say, well, you get Stephen Crichton. You know, if you're the, if you're the Dragons, you can say, well, it can't be any worse than it has been. And we got a coach and like, I know what you may think of him as a coach, but a lot of Dragons fans for them, that's something, you know, um, most teams can look at something. You now Herbie Farnworth is going to the to the to the Dolphins. Uh the Titans should be better next year. They got they got Hasler going as takeover as the coach. And then you got the West Tigers. It's like what do you fucking look at? Like Well October thirteenth, just three days ago. Mm-hmm. Here's this Article that came up on Fox Sports. A boardroom showdown is reportedly looming at the West Tigers regarding the future of embattled Chairman Lee. Um, the Telegraph are reporting that the club have a board meeting scheduled for October 23 with early feedback from the Tigers' independent review set to be available. The Hol- Holman Barnes Group, who commissioned the review, could be armed with fresh info after previously asking Chairman Lee to stand down. However, the hat-wearing dickhead is reportedly willing to face the individuals calling for his resignation. I can't believe they put that in there. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the cosplaying mafia boss denied this request <laughs> made by Tony Andriacho on behalf of the Holman Barnes Group and will now prepare for the findings of the independent review to be handed down. The review's results are expected to be de- delivered to the Holman Barnes Group by mid-November and could be focused on Chairman Lee as well as other board members. What do you mean could be? Powerful figures within the club, including Chairman Lee, um, Justin Potato, and head coach Benji Marshall, were all interviewed. Uh, Find out what happens, hey? Former NRL Chief Financial Officer Tony Crawford and Gary Barnier are conducting the review, sparked by over a decade of disappointing results. No, he took a decade. Yeah. Should... Chairman Lee and Potato be shown the door. Recruitment manager Scott Fulton could also be outed. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hey, I'm, 
I'm liking this review more and more. This shit needs to happen. I know. Isn't it weird that <laughs> Scott Fulton, Manly's recruitment officer, for some some fucking how, become a lightning rod in an NRL club? Like, what the hell? What's this here? Um, the latest running between Marshall and Fulton was regarding the potential signing of Sean Kepi, which Marshall was against. Eventually, Kepi ended up signing with the Rabbitohs, and the Tigers, as a result, retained Alex Twyla on the three-year deal. Do you reckon um, Benji Marshall was like, like he, he was like, oh, yeah, I don't think that he's the right guy that we're looking for. And then when he copped resistance, he was like, wait a minute, everyone in the room. I'm the fucking coach. Like, this is my responsibility. Hey, do you realize that? <laughs> I I don't know that he would have done that, but I think um, the genius might have popped in and said something along those lines. Hopefully. I, I, that's the thing about Benji. I hope, and like Benji... Like he's a he's a really nice dude, but he's obviously like a lethal competitor because that's how he becomes so good. Like he's just a, a a competitive monster, you know. Yeah. I hope that that is coming through. I think it's either it'll either be Tim Sheens or Robbie Farah because I yeah. think both of those two would be the only ones that are currently well were. With Sheen's anyway. I think he's still lingering around. Yeah. Um, but they'd be the only two that are at the club this year that would have the balls to stand up to the board and tell them that they're wrong. Um, which is probably why they wanted to keep Farrah on there, because he will tell them where they're wrong. Yeah. Because um, I'm not too sure Benji's got that much of an arsehole streak in him, to be honest, to be able to do that. And I th- look, I think you've got to have that as a coach, eh? Hey? Yeah, you do. I think you just it's and you can see it in all the good coaches. You can see him being assholes really quickly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um I think the only other thing I saw um was Josh Adakar made some some post on Instagram about the Israel Palestine thing. Yeah, he made a post um and when when the situation was or it was explained to him in some detail or or whatever he took it down and and copped it and it was like you know i, I didn't realize that was the situation and he, he kind of accepted that he'd made a mistake um i didn't see the post i don't know what it was about other than knowing just what you've said like it was about the conflict that was is going on over there and he that, that's he, that's all i heard yeah, so I like I'm not making any comment on any of that stuff, but uh, I read that he sort of took it down and and said, yeah, I, I didn't really understand the entire situation and copped it, and I was happy with that. Like, yeah, uh, everyone makes mistakes sometimes, and you know, he he misunderstood the situation, and yeah, it's it's cool that he was willing to come out and sort of handle it that way is really mature I reckon. I know you're supposed to abuse him and call him an asshole or something like that I know. You've got it all wrong I know, what the fuck This is why players shouldn't have anything to do about politics 
do so out of touch and in a bubble. Yeah, go and shake someone's hand. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's really weird when uh, when League Freak is the one that's kind of the calm one. <laughs> oh, we discussed this before. You're never calm. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm always angry. Just ask everyone else. As, as, soon as, as soon as we said hello today, I went, oh, he's got his angry breathing on. <laughs> Oh shit! We're on. We're on. It's it's strange. It's very strange. It must be really weird for some of these players where like they don't they have no idea that some bullshit is going on, and then they like they come off the field at training and everything's good and stuff, and they someone says like, "Oh, do you want to do five minutes for the media?" And they're like, "Yeah, no worries." And they go out and they start getting hit with these weird questions about something that is been created that they they've got no involvement in and nothing to do with and they didn't know existed and they're like what I'm <laughs> arrogant why because i had glasses on <laughs> i celebrated too hard mm. what? <laughs> it yeah. must be really fucking weird can you imagine that it, can you imagine it's... can you imagine someone saying andrew listen your birthday you fucking celebrated too hard and you're a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to blow out every fucking candle. Yeah. Yeah. What an asshole are you? <laughs> you know when uh you know when your kids were hey, born? You're, you're singing happy birthday but not in the national anthem. Yeah. But you, you know when your kids were born and you you was just so happy, it was amazing, and you were like, Oh, this is fantastic as over the top and you know, just disconnected. Really? No, I'll be honest. Okay, I didn't. I didn't carry on and celebrate when they were born. I went up to my wife and I shook her hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were you a? Uh, okay, here's a question for you. <laughs> were you a? Uh, were you uh, a warrior? Like, did you were you, the whole time? Were you just worrying the whole time, or were you trying not to pass out, or were you like, what was your thing? I I worry incessantly. Yeah. Yeah. I was stressed as fuck. She was chill as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this seems wrong. <laughs> we got the balance all wrong here, but uh I I I uh I stress and worry about that shit way, way more. Yeah. Yeah, she was I uh, mean women are fucking remarkable in that sense, man. Yeah, yeah. They it, go it's... through that crap and it's like, Yeah, this is fine and then lose their shit when they can't find their keys. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's it's kind of amazing, hey? Like the, this, like just this, just just take the physical toll that it, it takes on them, and they they really do. They just handle it. And like, can you imagine if I said to you in nine months' time, Andrew, you're going to go through it? <laughs> you just <laughs> That nine months would be horrifying. No, no. I uh, I remember joking to her. I said, I'm glad she got it. When I had my panic second, I said, oh, now I know what it feels like. She says, you fucking do not. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I know. I'm joking. Just calm down. Honestly, what, was the couch comfortable that week or what? Like... <laughs> It still is. 
fucking. <laughs> oh shit, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. That's why, like, I think the most crazy thing in all of rugby league is when you're watching the NRLW and they'll say, like, a player, one of the NRLW players, she's playing, you know, she's a rep player, and then she went away and she had a baby, and then she come back, she's playing rep footy again. And it's like, holy fuck, mm-hmm. that's insane. Yeah, like, can you? It's like. Forget your ACL and stuff. Imagine your whole frame changing and your yeah. chemistry changing and stuff, and then you get back into it. It's the, fucking the, crazy. They're getting too grotty. I mean, the fucking pelvis stretches unnaturally. Yeah. Uh, that, that shit has to go back together. It has to work again, and you've got to get the muscles and everything back working. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know how. It's crazy. It's It's, in, it's just crazy. It seems wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I look. All I can do is like it when you know when you get a, like a really big hamburger and you start getting a sore jaw. It, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Hey, <laughs> you're like, man, I've been chewing now for like five minutes. This thing's delicious, but I can't take much more of this. This is ridiculous. I was yeah. thinking the same thing. I'm sure it's the same. I'm, I, I guarantee you, every single woman would be agreeing with us there, especially the mothers. So, go, yep, that's exactly what it's like. I imagine it's like, you know, when you're watching TV and you're lying on the lounge and you drop the, the remote and you've got to stretch for it and you're like, oh, and you sort of twinge back a little bit. It's just out of reach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You sort of, and you're just getting it and, you, and then you reach too far and it's like, oh, that hurt a little bit. It's got to be like that, right? That's it. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we go through tons of pain ourselves as men, but we we don't carry on about it. Yeah, yeah, we just you know, you just get on with it, don't you? Well, we We've lost those few followers that we had. I was good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, ladies. <laughs> Let's get you on board. <laughs> on that subject, Andrew, um, if I was to look for a website to find all of the latest rugby league statistics. And previous statistics going back to 1895, what would be the best website to do that at? Oh, Wikipedia. No, uh, Rugby League Project. <laughs> We've got you covered there. Unless they do Wikipedia likes us. They do, actually. They do. A bit of a bit of an update. Mm-hmm. Very soon, we are going to have completed the entire NRL New South Wales Rugby League history, the first great history. That's crazy. We are on the very last season. So much work has gone into that. Mm. And I can tell you right now, mm. this is a good guessing game for you. Mm-hmm. Only one player in the history of the game has scored 666 points. Points. Yes. Uh, let me think. And it's all it, tries bar one goal. It's all tries? Yep. Bar one and, goal. And every try is a four-point try. So it's a player from the uh, post-1983 mm. days. Yeah. Pretty much the modern era. Um, so a prolific try scorer. Yeah, it'd have to be. Uh, I'm, it's got to be a lot of tries too. Is it uh, Andrew Eddinghouse? It is. Fuck off, really? Yes, it is. Are you serious? It's exactly who it is. Wow. And you know why I thought him? Lots of tries. Who who can I not remember kicking goals? Yeah. And and. I remember that, uh, and the other thing was like, because you know a lot of forwards, they kicked their, a goal in their last game sort of thing, but it had to be a pretty prolific try scorer. Yeah. Yeah, Andrew Eddie has 666 points, eh? If he was playing 
in the game right now, he'd probably be it'd probably be between him and Crichton as the best centre in the game, right? Mm, yeah, I, I'd probably still lean towards ET because at the especially the second half of his, of his career, his mm. defence became fucking intense. Oh, it was just shut down. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was he wasn't he wasn't brilliant in his early days, but he had so much more speed in his early days. But he made that transition in the middle of his career so damn well. He had the the speed, the explosive speed, um, and insane defense. And yeah, a, just as great a fullback as he was at Saint and on the wing at all levels. Um, and, but, he, and, he played a few games in the in the five eighth role, I think. I think he did a late in his career, wasn't it? I'll go check him out and see what we find. Because he was then the thing with ET was too, he was one of those like automatic selections at rep level. It was just like, oh yeah, ET, uh, who else? You know? Yeah. The only reason I say him and Crichton is because I like I think what Stephen Crichton's done over the last few years has been um I mean it's been historic, you know. Absolutely. At the moment though, I think the the thing that separates them is um, Crichton hasn't been able to absolutely nail down a position outside of centre. Not saying he's bad at them, but yeah, yeah, you know that was the one thing ET was. Is you could put him at centre, you could put him on the wing, you put him at fullback, and he, yeah. you know he's going to go close, close to being your man of the match. That's a good point. Yeah, and Greg Alexander was much the same. Yeah, and that's and, just a, a freakish talent that very few players have. Yeah, and look, the other thing is. Crichton has to do it for another, what, 13 years to equal what E.T. did? Yeah. Like, an unbelievably long career he had and was great right up until the last year, you know? Yeah. Could have gone for a few more years if he wanted to. Probably. Probably. Um, but yeah, that was that was an interesting little fact. Yeah. And I can't believe I nailed it so just perfectly. <laughs> Absolutely smashed it. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a couple of them today. I've got... I got um, drink water. Yeah, you're on a roll. Drink a water, roll. playing for the Gateshead Thunder Sharks, and then <laughs> you got ET. Good ET, mate. Well, you've basically rendered me useless. That's been good, Andrew. You now work. you're going to have to be my stats guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad that all of my employees at Rugby League Project have finally finished the website. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the yeah, you know, the first half of it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not even half. God, it'll be uh, that done. I'd say probably about in what we're starting on now, about thirty-eight percent. Look, those English stats are fucking ridiculous, man. I mean, I went like mm. when you tell me some of the the things you've got to deal with with the English stats. I, I just don't. I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we've been doing too um, is trying to pin down the results from the very early days of the Brisbane Rugby League competition. All right, yeah. It was, it was amateur for um, up until the very early, it might have even been actually 1920. Yeah. Because it was amateur, it was competing like, hand in hand with rugby union. And rugby union still dominated the media side of it. So you'd actually go for several months of a season yeah. and you get very little reporting on the game whatsoever. Wow. So I've had to rely on 
the very few ladder updates I could find along the way. Yeah. Ladder results and <clears throat> what other little pieces of tidbits I could find out along the way about results <clears throat> to plug the gaps on a few seasons because 1911 to 1913 were really rough to try and pin down. Um, but got all of the 1909 season completed, so yeah. team lives and everything. And that was their first season, wasn't that, it? That was their first season? Yeah, yeah. Um, 99 players in the first season. How many teams? Four. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, in 1910, I haven't, gone through, haven't got the lineups done for this one yet, but we've got the results in there. Yeah. Um, so we've got 1910, 1911, uh, I believe had a bunch of forfeits and stuff in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Who do they consider their original club? Do they have anything like that, or is it not like that? Um, so the the four teams that started in 1909 is Fortitude Valley, South Brisbane, North Brisbane, and Toomble, and I believe none of those sides exist today. Okay. Um, they went through so many teams in their first 20 years. Really? Yeah. So they've they've actually had. Um, I'm fairly certain they had nearly more teams in the Queensland Rugby League history than what's been in the NRL. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's and a lot of them are the first twenty years. Yeah. So it's and that's because because they're all amateur. If they mm-hmm. couldn't survive, they just got shut down and they just went and created another team. They brought a team up from the juniors and they just made them a senior team. Mm-hmm. And if they struggled for a season or two, boom, cut them off, get another one in. Yeah. I guess yeah. there's also the thing of like uh, just as a, as a city and a population base, Brisbane wasn't at the same place Sydney was at, at that point, you know? No, that's right. The population was much smaller and it was also a bit more spread out. So even in those early days, they still had Ipswich was its own sort of city. Yeah. Uh, and then Brisbane – and there was a smattering of the population starting on the north, far northern sort of side of, of Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Most of the population was the, the southeast of the CBD. Um, so, and obviously Rugby Union already had teams in all those places. Yeah. So they're trying to share venues and things with a rival code that doesn't really want them and isn't really helping them. And mm-hmm. so it's just constantly fighting for existence. And now Rugby Union's dead in Australia. Fuck them. <laughs> well, it, look, we played the long game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's great. Played the long game, but there we go. Um, so yeah, that's something that we are working on because, um, if I'm honest, the Queensland Rugby League Brisbane Rugby League competition in the last ten years of of its existence, leading up to when the Brisbane Broncos came in, yeah, had just as many. Um, rep stars, quality-wise especially, as what mm. the New South Wales Rugby League had at the time. Yeah, that's a really interesting moment in the game's history, hey, because it's like, obviously the New South Wales Rugby League, it's what we, I mean, it's the, turned into the NRL and everything, so we we take that as the main competition's history. But as you say, you take it like the, say, the Brisbane comp and look at it from, say, in 1983, for instance, and you're looking at a bunch of fucking test players and state of origin players and all sorts of like like proper 
champion players, you know, that it's it's just really strange. Yeah, I mean, go through some of the players that were playing in, um, like rep players that were playing in the Brisbane Rugby League in 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Brown, Greg Dowling, Gene Miles, Paul McKay, Wally Lewis, uh, Greg Kaneski, Joe Kilroy, Brian Niebling, uh, Robert Grogan, I think might have played City Country, not too sure. Um, Jim Cow, Brett Lamar. There's uh, Alan Langer, Gary French, Craig Titesall, Peter Coyne, Peter Gill. Um, a bunch of other players who played first grade. Andrew Tessman, Jeff Bagnell, Pat O'Doherty, Clinton Moore, Tony Ray. Obviously, Alan Langer and his brother, Kevin, Mark Hone. Tony Ray went on to kill the London Broncos about four times, huh? He did well. Mark Coyne. <laughs> Mark, Mark Coyne. Yep. Uh, Kerrod Walters and obviously Kevin. Actually, Kevin might have been at the Raiders in 87. Yeah, yeah I feel Doyle. like him and Steve went to the Raiders, huh? Yeah. But a lot of a lot of players will end up uh, finding themselves in the uh, – the New South Wales Rugby League the following year, either at the the Gold Coast or the Brisbane Broncos. Um, so yeah, it's, and there's even a lot of people in there who are fathers of, um, you know, players that came along later on. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it weird when you think about like the Broncos coming in '88, and then they win their first comps in '92, '93, and but it it was weird. It, it felt like they'd been around forever in a way. Um, and there wasn't, it, at the time, it wasn't like there was talk of like, oh, this brand new team has won, you know, so quickly. They just weren't seen like that. No. But then, like, if that happened now, like, say, it'd be like the Dolphins winning the comp in, like, what, two or three years from now. That would be absolutely remarkable. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was insane team. Yeah, yeah. It's too bad Penrith will be winning them titles. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Dolphins. Fuck off. <laughs> Is there ever going to do anything good? <laughs> they sh- it's going to be interesting to see how they go next year. You know? I think getting Herbie Farnsworth is really cool because it gives they them... They will make the finals before the Tigers do. Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I don't know if they'll make the finals, though, before the Tigers get a third spoon. No. <laughs> the Tigers have got to be favourites next year, right? For the spoon? Then, I don't yeah. know. I'll tell you what. They'll, look, they'll be very high in the betting for it, obviously. Yeah. Um, I haven't got much faith in the um, the recruitment that Manly's undergone. Very true. The, and the Dragons as well. Dragons are a bit of a mess. Yeah. Um. And, I mean, Titans still, I don't know. They're doing just Gold Coast things where they look like they've got a good squad, but they just keep going crap. Yeah, they keep shuffling the deck chairs. It's really weird. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with those ones. But they, And even the Bulldogs. You just can't see a huge amount of movement in those teams. I expected a lot more from the Bulldogs this year movement-wise, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, and it didn't look like it, hey. Um, The thing that gets me... And I talked about Stephen Crichton. I think he's the best centre in the game. Um, you put him into that side, and between him and Burton and Kikau, you've got three guys who are on 
pretty close to three million bucks between the three of them. And you got to spend the, the other seven million on the rest of your entire squad. Um, I, I, I don't know that that's the way to go, but that's what the way they're going. And yeah. I, like, as you say, going by what they did this year, even adding Stephen Crichton to it, man, there's a fucking lot of improvement they've got to do to even be thinking of finals footy. Well, so, I mean, look, they're the only tender in the comp this year whose defence was worse than the Tigers, and it was worse by a lot. And it kept and it kept getting worse as the year went on too. Yeah, well, they had three losses less than the Tigers, and you considered almost a hundred points more than them. Yeah, it's it's fucked. It's That's really horrible. Fucked. Yeah, the Dragons only conceded one goal less than the Tigers. Well, that's a weird thing when the Dragons decided to make a coaching change and that the bloke that took over, and I can't remember his name, but they 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 did something under him. They impro- they didn't improve out of sight, but they did something under him. And they, they chose to pick someone else to take over from that. So Shit clubs do shit things. They do. <laughs> that's a really good way to put it. And good clubs just win. Can we stop talking about Penrith, Andrew? Jeez. All right, all right, we'll do that. <laughs> well, look, uh, we'll wrap this one up. Thanks for tuning, everyone. Uh, apologies for the delay, um, but we uh, we did we did cheat death again, <laughs> as we do the tale of winter every year. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you check us out on all the socials, and uh, we will catch you all next time. <laughs>